0: This is Yes and Marketing, the podcast for people who believe that great ideas can come from anywhere. I'm your host, Steve Fakras. Join me for conversations with eclectic marketers and creative thinkers. Yes and Marketing is brought to you by Verblio, the friendliest content creation platform in the business. This week, I'm talking with Hope Horner. Hope is the CEO and founder of Lemonlight, a video production company that produces and distributes branded video content at scale. Hope and Lemonlight are on the cutting edge of video marketing, having produced more than 15,000 videos for clients ranging from Coca Cola to local SMBs. It's always a treat to talk with another CEO running a marketplace business and creating content at scale. I was excited to have Hope on the show for a video marketing deep dive and to hear about the lessons she's learned across her founder journey, including what marketing teams are getting wrong with video marketing today, how to prepare for the future of video marketing the best part of having a co-founder, and why you shouldn't start in your own ad. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hope Horner, welcome to Yes and Marketing.
1: Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here today.
0: Will you start us off with your favorite word? Grit. If you could travel back in time to any place, where would you visit?
1: I'm just going to start back over. Just get to read you all the fun parts. I feel like that's the greatest tragedy in life is that you only get to do it once, so I would take this, take this opportunity to do it again.
0: Even middle school?
1: Sure. I mean, learning lessons in there.
0: Favorite class from undergrad that you unexpectedly became passionate about?
1: Social Action and Justice Colloquium was a it was a class I had no idea what I was even getting into that we had to take freshman year. And I ended up taking several classes throughout college. Did you use it? I hope so. You know, I grew up in Tennessee, and I think when I first moved out here, there was a whole world that I just did not know existed. Um, I feel like we were a little sh- maybe sheltered or just not as exposed to some of the... some real parts of life. I was 18. I just moved out here I didn't know anybody. It was my first class, my freshman year. And it immediately just sort of opened my eyes in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, and it was really a great way to kind of just dive right into California and this whole new life, I think.
0: Cool. What was one social action campaign that stood out for you?
1: Oh gosh, we did all kinds of things around the city. I remember the first time I went to Skid Row, that was impactful. So maybe that's the one that stands out the most. We went there and we were serving lunch and and working with some local communities there.
0: Cool. We'll go on a completely different direction for the next question. The best beach in LA?
1: Ooh, El Matador Beach?
0: Best workout soundtrack song?
1: Oh gosh, like Beyonce? Anything probably? I don't know.
0: Cool. All right. Things you know better. Your own origins improv. When did you know you were an entrepreneur?
1: I think that I've always known. Um, I feel like when I was like, you know, in seventh grade, daydreaming about being an adult, I was daydreaming of running a company and wearing a lot of pencil skirts for some reason, which did not come to fruition. But I've hmm. always wanted to, to run an organization.
0: What did the fitness industry teach you about striking out on your own?
1: A lot. I started my first company based on an idea I had while I was working there. I was in sales at a couple different um, organizations. The last one was at Equinox. And what I saw was a lot of personal trainers, massage therapists, estheticians that were trying to run their business both on the inside and on the outside, and they didn't have the business skills on the outside to run their business. And so that was my first company that I started was a company that was a marketplace that was basically the gig economy before the gig economy existed. Helping them get clients on the outside and how to manage that, manage their business, basically.
0: Most important lesson you learned from your first startup?
1: Don't try to do everything at once. So for example, my first company was Better You, and I wanted to create an on-demand app that basically serviced massage therapists, personal trainers, estheticians, one of the fitness, beauty, and wellness market. And it was just way too much at once.
0: Most valuable lesson from having a co-founder?
1: I can't imagine not having a co-founder or have two in this scenario. There are so many decisions that you make every day that are hard. And then there are occasionally the decisions that are just impossible. And to not have someone to talk those through, I can't imagine it. I, you know, I have friends who are solo ones, like solo founders and I, I don't know. I don't know how they do it.
0: What's the difference between having co-founders to bounce ideas off of and having an incredible team?
1: I feel like you can be your most raw self with your co-founders, with your team. It doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, I feel like when you're the CEO, you have to show up in a certain way and it doesn't matter how close you are with the team or, or or what's going on, I feel like there's an expectation and, and a responsibility even to show up, you know, in a, in a certain way, it doesn't mean you can't be human or authentic or, or real or raw, but it's different than I think the way that I can show up with my co-founders.
0: Tell me a little bit about Lemonlight.
1: So Lemonlight's mission is to make video content creation easy for every brand on the planet. And we do that by connecting brands with, you know, really great creators. Uh, throughout the entire video production process. And we do that by giving them the tools to move through it more efficiently than say with a traditional production company.
0: So doing video at scale, doing any content at scale, as I know, is really hard to do. And doing video at scale seems particularly challenging. How did you build the system to actually solve this pretty complex problem?
1: Thanks for saying that. I honestly feel like it is very hard because video itself, just like content, is so subjective. And so every single person has a different opinion of the content that's created and all opinions are mostly valid because it's all perception
0: what's the delivery system what's the like combination of technology and marketplace and business rules that you guys create in order to deliver video content at scale
1: it's very process driven everything has to be process driven I used to use the word assembly line but with video production there's probably a hundred decisions you have to make everything from scripting to your voiceover actor to your actor that shows up on set to the color of their nails to 10,000 other things. And so the most important thing to do is to keep it as simple as possible for clients and be very process driven. So here's the step. Here's what we recommend. What is your selection? Great. Next, next, next. And just help them move through there. It's really easy to get decision paralysis. And so by helping lead them and guide them based on what, you know, we've made 15,000 videos. So we know something at this point, giving them our best suggestions and then helping them take it step by step is I think the most important part and the reason we've been able to scale.
0: Can you walk us through the process of a new client comes to lemonlight What does the process come by from what you're asking them to video being delivered?
1: Yep. So first up right now is to connect directly with an account executive who can help you plan your content strategy, essentially understand what you're trying to do and then make, make a recommendation that's in your best interest ultimately so that your goals are aligned with the content that you're creating. And that's one of the biggest, biggest reasons that content can fail is because it's not aligned on the front side. And then basically you pick from a variety of different packages and then you get started. You know, it starts with pre-production. You go through, you know, if there's a script, there's, you know, refining the script with your script writer. If there's talent, you know, selecting your cast and selecting your location and all the way to you show up on set. Most of our clients come to set. They don't have to. Um, you know, we shoot the production, you know, usually it's five to 10 hour day and then everybody goes home, feels good. And then. Uh, we move into post-production where our team of editors puts together the whole video and post to make sure it aligns again with your goals. That's a big, big theme for us. Um, and makes sure that, you know, ensures that you get the product that you're looking for.
0: So it still sounds like a ton of work. So you're talking about the assembly line before. Video just requires more work. What are the, the key areas that you've kind of taken the the friction out of the process in order to deliver it at so much scale? Because in order to do 15,000 videos, you're clearly doing something faster and uh, more streamlined?
1: We make about 500 videos a month now. And it's really about, you know, we have a huge roster of crew and talent and voiceover talent, all of these, all of the things that you need to make a great video. And basically through algorithms, paring that down and delivering you what we think is going to be You know, here's six choices for you to choose from instead of 60 or 600 if you're using something, you know, one of the other marketplaces online. And really trying to keep it as customized as possible, but still giving you the option to choose what's best for your brand, ultimately.
0: What's the most dominant use case that you're using? Are these explainer videos? Are they ad videos?
1: Ads. According to the data, we make more product videos than anything else. So for e-com companies, retail, lots of ads, digital ads. And then from there, we make a lot of just what I would call brand videos for businesses all around the world. So an explainer video for how their restaurant is great or their medical office is different or um, an internal video. We just did one for Wells Fargo, an internal video on your first three days of training or whatever it was. So it definitely runs the gamut. Do you try to keep LemonLight accessible to
0: brands of all shapes and sizes?
1: Definitely. You know, when we started LemonLight in 2014, the average commercial was like $300,000. And so that was how we got our start was we wanted to champion the little brand. We thought the video was going to be the future. It's hard to believe, but in 2014, the only place you could put native video was on YouTube and on your website. Obviously today it's everywhere. And we had a hunch that it was going to get bigger. And so we thought, you know, brands, the small, medium-sized business market's going to need video content too. So how do we make it affordable and accessible? And so we started there. We still have videos today that start at $2,000, $2,500, but we also appeal to the larger brands too. I think because everything that we do is very productized. It's all prices are the same, whether you're Coca-Cola or whether you're, you know, the gym down the street, the difference is a lot of times, you know, Coca-Cola will need 400 videos um, and the gym down the street might need four.
0: Yeah. How much expertise do your clients need to have in order to work with you?
1: We work with all first time marketers, founders who don't even have a marketing team to literally, you know, Coca-Cola's ad agency.
0: Got it. So nobody should be afraid.
1: No, no, there's nothing to be afraid about. You have to get started somewhere. <laughs> we make it really easy. Do your clients ever want to be the talent?
0: Do oh, they yeah. want to be on screen? Okay, all the time.
1: Yeah, it, it's it goes back and forth. It's like we either we either think they should and they don't want to, uh, <laughs> or <laughs> or this is maybe a a, a like a, a more commercial spot, I guess, for lack of a better word, where we think that maybe hiring talent would be the right fit and they want to do it so we work with them we try to coach them through whatever ultimately that they think is best
0: got it so basically if the company wants to be the talent then they shouldn't be the talent but if they don't want to be it's likely they should be
1: that's exactly the formula yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm just kidding <laughs> One of the greatest things about working with so many different content providers from our side is just how much exposure of how many random things there are in the universe. I'm wondering if you can give us a, an example of some of your your quirkier, more unusual clients
1: not without getting cancelled um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: you can leave it you could leave it at that if you
1: yeah. want <laughs> yeah.
0: So following up on that, because we have to answer that question on our side too, are there categories you just won't do videos about?
1: You know, we've, we've turned down a, some companies that were a little too extreme. We have no problem like dealing with like maybe the adult genre, but there are some, some companies that have come to us to, and asked for things that this candle, our team wasn't really comfortable creating. I would say it's the best way to put it.
0: Perfect. Uh, we have two. What's an example of some of the more successful campaigns that you guys have backed?
1: The Drizzly campaign, we had a ton of success with them. They created a couple of ads for digital. Um, they ended up going really well. They sold to Uber and then they took all of the ads that we made to broadcast because they were performing so well, especially one of them. And that was really fun. Another big campaign we did was with Drew Barrymore, actually, which was pretty big and fun. That had a lot of success also through a company called Yogi Bo, which is like beanbags. You never know. Cool. Do you get to meet a
0: bunch of random celebrities in this job?
1: You know, what? I don't, um, <laughs> but I do live in LA, so I feel like I see them just randomly. But my team does. We filmed Cindy Crawford a couple weeks ago. I wasn't there, but I heard it was really good. And she was lovely, as you can expect.
0: Interesting LA universe. What can video accomplish that other marketing channels just can't?
1: Video is going to be the most effective way to grab someone's attention. And I think it dates back to like early, early days where, you know, we used to sit around fires long before televisions existed. And it's the idea of like moving light because it captures your attention and it creates a focus and a draw that static images don't create. Um, And so I think that that's, you know, been carried through the years. I know, you know, the first commercial came out 1949, maybe I can't even remember. It was full of a watches. Um, and then YouTube, when they launched their, you know, video ads in 2015, um, you've just seen the, the trend continue, I think with, I don't think it would be as explosive as it is if it didn't create such an impact.
0: What's the number one thing marketing teams are getting wrong with video today and how can they fix it?
1: A lot of people come and they just want to make a a great video. Um, and it's not very deliberate. They have a great idea, but they're really too focused on like their great idea and not the true intention of the video or what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and that'll also usually manifest by trying to do, you know, one video for everywhere and everything all at once. <laughs> I think that's a conversation that we have to have a lot. What is your goal with this video? And then does this accomplish it? And then how do you actually use this video to accomplish your goal? Right. It's not taking the same video and plastering it across all of the different mediums and channels and everywhere. It's not going to be that effective that way. Um, So trying to help them tailor it, to you know, based on their goal.
0: When I went to business school, the marketing professors did a review of all of the the Super Bowl ads every single year. And I just remember the first ones, like everybody, we used to think that the Super Bowl ads were all about what was the funniest. And then they would do a test of if you could remember what they actually talked about and what was the point, like 20 minutes later. And it was a really interesting, that's what it's really about moment.
1: It's, it is interesting. And we, we have that conversation a lot of times with people too, where they come and they want to be funny, except it doesn't really make sense to be funny for this particular effort or their brand isn't really a funny brand. And so it's really doesn't fit. Um, so we're having a lot of that just kind of alignment.
0: How do your clients measure the effectiveness of of the videos? I'm sure it's different by, by purpose, but I'm interested in like the core ways that that they're being measured. Does your platform, is that something you guys do to help with that? Or is that... A different group that then focuses on after
1: so we don't do any distribution in-house um we work with a lot of partners like ad agencies that do or amazon's a great example who we make a lot of their prime ads um so there's there's good and bad to that the hard part of that is sometimes it's just getting the results and hearing how they're going the other part is we have no control over the results as you know video content is one piece of the this is a successful campaign pie Um, and so sometimes without full access, which we almost never have, it's hard to really understand, you know, why was this one so great? And this one wasn't so great because there's so many details that we don't have access to. We do rap calls at the end of every video and then trying to coordinate with their distribution teams to try and understand. We do a lot of case studies, things like that because we don't do the distribution ourselves. It's not as transparent as we'd like it to be.
0: We don't either. And uh, it makes it a really challenging. You want to be able to say that you did a really good job here. I have this to prove it. And uh, it is a complicated mess. Yes. If someone had unlimited resources, what kind of video marketing do you think they should be doing?
1: I would say full funnel video marketing, which I know is sort of broad, but video can be used throughout the buyer's journey and even in a lot of different ways. And I think if there were, the resources were unlimited, it would be creating, um, you know, a variety of different campaigns throughout the funnel that are all connected, still, you know, testing against each other to really understand what is resonating with your audience throughout. Because I think there's a lot of surprises. I think what you think is going to be great is sometimes not, and sometimes vice versa. So, having the, me- the means to test things in a really big, deliberate way, I think, would be really fun. Got it. And when you're thinking about this video campaign, are you
0: thinking of these as performance videos, or a lot of them are education? And it's a uh, what's 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 the structure of this full funnel video?
1: You know, I think at the end of the day, is any brand, I think the goal is performance. I think that we hide under the guise of entertainment or education or, you know, kind of this broad scope of content marketing. But at the end of the day, the goal is to convert more customers to your brand. Um, And so I think there's a lot of different ways to do that now. And. It's a delicate balance, you know. You mentioned earlier the Super Bowl. It's like you can create the most entertaining ad in the world, but if you if no one knows who your brand is after after it's over, it doesn't really help you. Um, and so it's a balance, I think, of trying to figure out what your what resonates with your audience, what platform it's being distributed on. I think depending on the platform too is important. People are on different platforms for different reasons, and making sure that the content you're creating is aligned with them.
0: On the trend side, how has video marketing changed since you first became part of the field?
1: It would be way easier if it was still the way it used to be. Um, so when we started, it was just on YouTube and, and websites, literally. Like even on Facebook, you could not upload a video to Facebook. You had to upload a YouTube link or add a YouTube link. And now today, I'm pretty sure that there's like every 14 days, they come out with a new video. Placement, size, export requirements, all kinds of things. It's literally everywhere. You know, we make videos for billboards now. Like that definitely didn't exist when we started. Mm. You know, I remember actually very clearly in 2018. So we used to say, you need a video for your brand. Just like you need a website for your brand, you need a video for your brand. This is like 2014, 2015. And then I 2017 or 2018, I don't, I don't remember when it was, but I remember having this pivotal shift within our company that was like, you no longer need a video for your brand. Like You need video content for your brand all the time. And Mm -hmm. changing that narrative and changing that conversation with people and helping them understand like, look, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't just a, you put it on your website and you're done. It's like, it needs to be in your advertising channels and your sales funnels and in your emails and on your social and just the education around that, us trying to keep up with it. And then also educate our our clients was definitely a, a, a big learning curve for a while. And these days, I think most people are kind of on board with it.
0: So help us predict the video marketing future. What's coming next?
1: I think the winner is whoever can make video content as easy as possible and scalable as possible and, and quality, right? We talk about this a lot. Is UGC content or is iPhone content going to replace everything we do, basically? I don't think that's the future, actually. I think that there is a place for that already. I think there will continue to be a place for that. But I think that like polished content will still need to be created by brands. And I think the future is probably more personalization and more customization if that makes sense i think right now we're in this like this like era of like rise of create your own video using stock and editing tools which didn't really exist before so that you can create a lot of variations of your same video um but i think the customizable aspects will become more accessible for people everywhere if that makes sense
0: completely how could marketers best prepare for this next round of video challenges that are coming if they start thinking about it now?
1: Yeah, I would say just get really comfortable making content. You know, make it part of your plan. Make it part of your, you know, everyday conversations and your campaigns. And don't be afraid of it for sure if you're not using it. It's, it's inevitable at some point. So the, the more comfortable you are, the easier it'll be to to kind of shift with the trends.
0: Let me ask you a few questions in a different line of founding companies and what small businesses should look to, to to try to scale. What advice do you have for smaller businesses looking to scale and what can they focus on first?
1: My first thought is buckle in. My second, probably maybe more helpful thought is efficiency is the antithesis of growth. And that was a really hard learning lesson for me. I, by nature, am very structured and I like to be very efficient and I'm very process driven. And then all of a sudden when we started growing really fast, I just felt like we were, we were having a lot of growth, but I felt like everything was inefficient and felt very chaotic. It was very uncomfortable for me for a while. And so I think that's just something to be aware of and to know that based on a lot of research that I've done, that's somewhat normal. <laughs> and so to, to learn to be a little bit more comfortable with that, first of all, and to learn how to prioritize, you know, the challenges that are coming up and where to focus your time and where not to focus your time.
0: It's interesting. Some other successful tech CEOs that I've interviewed that had the answer of like, what's the number one thing you look for in a young startup team? And they say, if they know too many, too much about their KPIs and their process-driven metrics, then we don't want to work with them because they're spending too much yeah. time being perfectionist on process versus innovating.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's, uh, it's a balance for sure. Mm-mm. Tell us a little about your hiring
0: process. What's, what's one of the top traits you look for when you're trying to hire top talent?
1: Our core values are happy, hungry, and humble, right? We want happy people who are adding life to the team, hungry people who are eager to learn more, do more, and humble people because no one likes working with a jerk. <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, the way that I approach interviews is like, is this a human that I want to work with? Like, is this a human I want to be around? And I think taking a human first approach is, is really important.
0: Mine is, Did I, when I think of the conversation afterwards, did I leave feeling like I had more energy or less energy than before? And if I left Ooh. feeling like more energy, that's probably someone I want to be around.
1: That's a good one. I like that.
0: Thanks. You were talking earlier about one of the biggest mistakes that startups have and new founders is doing too many things. So there you are. You're getting a million opportunities a day. You can go in any direction, any vertical, any horizontal, expand every possible service. How do you prioritize work in your high growth company?
1: For better and for worse. I think there are literally so many hands to go around. There are literally so many dollars to go around. So, you know, you can't do everything at once. So you do have to prioritize. Um, And I think at the end of the day, you know, we try to be pretty diligent about setting, you know, annual goals and then quarterly OKRs. So what is our objective this quarter, right? We used to try to do, we did, we used to try to do everything all the time. And we would get a lot of little things done, but we weren't, like, making big progress, like, towards specific objectives. And so we just had to be more specific. We said, you know, these are all the things that we want to do. We have this great strategy game that we play, basically. It's like, okay, well, what are the priorities and what are we going to do this quarter? And then, like, we're not going to try and solve all of these things at once because it's not possible.
0: All right, you've made it. You've survived. You're in the wrap-up round. Your best piece of contrarian marketing advice.
1: Talk about your competition. I think just being honest about what else is out there, I, th- I think it helps.
0: Like in a pros and cons type of way, you could work with them because they have these advantages or more of a rip them down type of approach?
1: No, not, no, the first. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't be afraid to like, you know, we talk about this a lot. We do a lot of long form content. Don't be afraid to mention other people. Don't be afraid to talk about what they do and how they do it differently, even if it's, you know, potentially a competitor.
0: Who are some of the marketers that are inspiring you today and that you're following?
1: I know Brene Brown is not a marketer technically, but she's definitely up there. I just read a great book by Frank Slootman, Amp It Up. Not marketing specific, but kind of just about growth for a company. So those are the two people that come to mind first right now.
0: Cool. Any tips specifically for female marketers looking to become leaders?
1: I don't know if it's female specific or just marketer specific. I feel like, you know, in full transparency, we've been in the process of hiring and like a VP of marketing for a while. And it's been really hard. And I think being really deliberate, marketing is like so big. And if you know about marketing, there's so many things you can do and it can be fun. Especially I feel like people come in, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. But really being more focused and deliberate, I think, is is important for any marketing leader because it's really easy to get kind of lost in all of these fun ideas, especially when they, new things come out every single day.
0: Cool. How can people find you and LemonLight after the show?
1: Yep. So we are online at LemonLight.com or on pretty much any social media channel at LemonLight Media.
0: Perfect. Hope Horner, thank you so much for being on Yes and Marketing.
1: Thanks so much for having me today, Steve.
0: Thanks for listening to Yes in Marketing. If you enjoy the show or learn something new today, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. Thanks.